Hey everyone, and welcome to the 57th episode of The Liam McCollum Show. This episode was recorded June 29th, 2021. In this interview, I talked to Alden Tonke. He's running for House District 82 in Montana as a Republican, and he's currently a student at the University of Montana. He's got some very libertarian positions, and I really enjoyed talking to him about them. I think you'll be very impressed with a few of the policies he wants to propose. Remember to subscribe to The Liam McCollum Show on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Here's Alden. All right, everyone. I have Alden Tonke on. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Liam. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I just wanted to bring you on. You, I heard about you. Um, you're running for office here in Montana, and you're kind of more of a Liberty Republican guy. Do you want to just explain yep. why you got into politics, where your interest started? I, I was um, a Republican in 2016, but as you know, I've, I've become more libertarian over time. So I'm just curious, like, at what point in your life you were attracted to politics and then um, how that development was and why you wanted to jump into it. Yeah. So, you know, I've always kind of, um, you know, I come from a family that was very, um, they stressed the importance of politics to me and, and being involved. And actually, you know, my first recollection of politics was the Obama McCain election back in 2008. I remember sitting in my living room, um, on the night of the, of the election and watching the results come in. So that was kind of, um, I was fascinated by it from that point on. And ever since I've just been extremely interested in politics and policy making, and the, the difference that we can make, um, through policy and through being engaged and involved. Um, and since then that's just continued to, to grow as I've worked on, um, different campaigns and now, you know, working for an elected official and, and now, you know, into running for office. Yeah, definitely. And so, when you first talked to me um, and, and I reached out to you, you were running for one position and, and that was in the Missoula area. And now you're running in another one. Um, and you went to the University of Montana, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. So you would have represented that area. But do you want to just dive into like what ended up happening there? There's kind of an interesting story why you had to switch over. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, obviously, I'm running as a Republican, but like you mentioned, a liberty-minded Republican. And it's pretty crazy, actually, when you think about these local races, you wouldn't think about, you know, tons of money being pumped into them. But um, Senate District 49, which overlaps the House District I was planning on running in, House District 98, that's the number one target for the Democrats in 2022. They're going to dump every resource into keeping that seat blue uh, with Representative Cheetah running in that Senate district. And, um, you know, they're talking, throwing out numbers of, you know, half a million dollars into those races. And the district I was running in was going to be a blue district anyway. And um, I just thought, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to work hard and spend the time, I want to give myself a shot. And, um, you know, I think it says something about the state of the Democratic Party, to be honest, when they're having to dump half a million dollars into a seat that they currently hold to keep it that way. I think that kind of shows where they're at. Um, but, I, you know, I think Helena was actually a better fit for me anyway with working in Helena, um, living in Helena. I think it just it made sense to run there and run in a district that was going to be winnable. And, um, you know, I think it just the whole transition just made sense to, to run in Helena instead of that district in Missoula. Yeah. Do you think that they were kind of uh, scared just because of Cheetah's previous races and how he's been? Yeah, I think that 
I think that their policies are, it's showing itself. They lost 11 seats in the legislature in 2020. Um, the Republicans hold seven of the eight statewide offices. Their policies are not resonating with the people of Montana. And so now they're doubling down and doing everything they can to try to hold on to their you know, territory in, in uh, Missoula and in Gallatin County. And I think when you're when the Republicans are running a, a guy like Brad Cheetah, who's got a lot of name recognition, is very well liked in that area. I think they're uh, quaking in their boots a little bit of the thought of him hold, uh, flipping that Senate seat and, and they don't want it to happen. So they're going to expend every resource to try to keep that in their in their hands. Yeah. And it, it's kind of interesting. It's like just the way that it works that comes down from um, the DNC national, correct? Yeah. And, you know, I, I believe it does. And I think they have their own legislative campaign committee and they're sitting there, you know, and just like the Republicans plotting and trying to figure out where are areas that they need to double down to hold where areas they think they can pick up seats. I don't think there's a whole lot of those areas, but I do think that they're trying to, to hold those seats and, and their um, leadership at a national level and at the state level is saying, look, we got to try to hold that seat. So we'll, dump a ton of money into it to try to keep it, you know, in their hands. So that that's what they're doing. Um, nothing we can do about it, unfortunately, but um, I think it's kind of just, you know, crazy that they're having to dump that much money into a race that they should be able to hold. <laughs> Another funny part about this is the candidate that will be running in the same district that you're running now in Helena. Um, do you want to explain how that race is looking right now? Yeah, well, he's a socialist. He's a um, self-proclaimed socialist. This isn't me making this up. He, he's advocating for high taxes. You know, actually, I uh, was looking just kind of to learn a little bit about him. And um, are you familiar with the group Turning Point? Yeah. He um, They had an event in Helena a couple months back, and he, you know, decided to go on social media and call them, uh, quote, Hitler youth and Nazis. So, I mean, th this is what we're up against in this district, somebody that's not reasonable. He doesn't speak for the people of Montana or the people in that district. He's His ideas are not in the um, normal realm of, you know, what would be considered mainstream. Not that that's, you know, a bad thing. You know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. That's my belief, but I think that um, Helena families and and Montana families can do a lot better than a guy running in a in a district as a socialist um, and telling people he wants to take their freedoms, telling people he wants to you know he's advocating for tax you know wealth taxes and you know just ridiculous proposals that have they have no chance of of passing through the legislature. Honestly, if he was elected, he'd be the laughing stock of the legislature. Nobody would seriously. I mean. <laughs> be an embarrassment to that district yeah absolutely and um when i talked to you previously the the race isn't necessarily um decided yet like it's not necessarily him and you there could be there is some time for people to enter the race yep so there's time for people to enter the race um i'm confident that uh come i guess it would be june of next year when the primary is that i'll be the nominee for the gop um you know converse after conversations with a lot of people um, I've got quite a bit of support and I, I feel confident that I'll be the nominee. If the Democrats want to have a shot in this district, they might want to come up with something other than a socialist, but you know, if this is what they're going to continue to, to do, God bless them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I want to dive more into your story before, like, 
um, what you're going to focus on when when running and, and all of the different policies and stuff like that. Um, so you went to the University of Montana. How how was that as a conservative? I'm going through it as a libertarian. It might be a little easier for me. Um, but like, how is it as as a Republican? I see you had a you have a Trump poster on the back um, and on your wall. So I'm I'm assuming it was a little interesting being a minority there. It was tough. Um, you know, I think you learn to, it, it, frankly, in the classes, you have to put the politics aside if you want to succeed. I mean, when you're talking about a, a faculty that's probably 80% plus left wing and, you know, they're entitled to those opinions, but you have to learn to get along with everybody um, and, and kind of put the politics aside. It was tough. Um I think one thing that's interesting and it's really kind of sad is there are a lot of conservatives and libertarians on campus, but they kind of, a lot of them feel like they kind of have to hide. Like if they are open about their beliefs that they're going to be ostracized and criticized and kind of cast aside on, on the campus. And it's really sad that that's kind of what our political discourse has come to that we can't, um, you know, talk about these things and, and look beyond um, political views that, that that's how polarized everything's become. But unfortunately, that's how a lot of people feel. Personally, um, I was not afraid to share my beliefs and, you know, talk about how I, I felt. And, um, but overall, I, I did like the University of Montana. I thought um, it was a good school, got a good education. And, you know, it, it's a college campus. So I think you're going to, on any college campus, you're going to deal with a little bit of that. And you just got to learn to kind of get through it, I guess. <laughs> I found on the personal level with professors, like there are some really reasonable ones where even if I disagree with them, like we have conversations and part, part of that might be just because I'm in the philosophy department. So really mm -hmm. it's a lot of just defending the principles and they might already be aware of, of where the principles of certain positions start and stuff like this. Um, but I, I'm wondering, did you ever get any pushback? Like, is there any story that you remember or was it pretty easy going through it? Yeah. So a couple of things, actually, I'll give one shout out to a professor, uh, Christopher Musty. He was a political pro uh, science professor. He was, um, he's pretty moderate. I think he's actually a Democrat, but he's very reasonable and he gets along with everybody and is willing to listen. He actually was the head pollster for the Washington post during the 2004 presidential campaign. So it's pretty cool that he's teaching at U of M and I learned a lot from him. I took a lot of classes with him. He knew where I stood. I knew where he stood and we had a great relationship. So I'd like to see more of that. Um, on a, on a different note, you know, when we started kind of going through the Zoom classes last year, I had a professor who um, the, the class was called political polarization. And the whole idea was how do we get past the polarization in politics? And he thought it would be a good idea on the first day of class to say that, you know, to save our country, we needed to beat the hell out of the Republicans and um, Trump needed to be in prison and, you know, just a whole litany of you know, things. So it was pretty embarrassed. I was embarrassed for him, to be honest, you know, sitting there teaching a class about how we can be less polarized. And he's talking about throwing President Trump into prison. But, you know, you just you get through it and you'll kind of take it for what it is. Yeah, it's, it's the funniest thing is like, you know, I I, I think it's, it's important just for me to say that, like, I, I used to really like Trump and I resonate and I sympathize with just like people who who voted for him. And mm -hmm. it, it was so funny that like, the more and more libertarian I, I became, the more criticisms I had. 
but because of how mm-hmm. arranged certain people were on the left, like with regard to him, like, cause like I disagreed with him on foreign policy, even though he, he kind of ran as um, a non-interventionist candidate. I disagreed with him on certain like gun stuff he did, like the bump stocks and, and uh, you know, right. you know, people that he tried to like prosecute and all of this stuff. But then you just saw how the other side reacted and it was just extremely unreasonable and you see it on campus. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, but I think that once you get down to personal level, like I get along with some professors who are pretty openly like socialists, you know, some people mm-hmm. who follow like the Frankfurt school and, and yeah. all of these philosophers that are kind of the influence of what we're seeing in our culture today. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And I, I think that it is important for people to um, not, not, not necessarily speak out to the point where they're going to get thrown out or um, cause problems within class, but just like engage with people. Because I think at the personal level, that's where you're going to see um, at least people, they, they bring down their walls and they're more willing to speak with each other. Well, and that's that's what's so concerning to me and and why I was so concerned when I see the Democrat in my race that's, you know, calling people he dis, you know, equating people that he disagrees with with the genocide of millions of Jews. I mean, come on, like what are we doing here? Um, you know, I don't have to agree with him. He doesn't have to agree with me, and that's okay. That's what makes America such a great country that we don't have to agree with each other to engage in a civil dialogue. And it seems to me that and it's really sad that so many on both sides of the aisle um, are just putting up barriers and refusing to engage with anybody that might have a little bit of a different opinion with uh, as them. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you graduate? So actually, so I'm done with classes. I'm graduating this uh, summer with oh. um, I'm finishing up with internship credits uh, with my job at the AG's office. Um, so I'll be graduating this summer, but I'm done with classes finally. (laughs) Um, so, so is it, uh, will you be the youngest person if you're elected then in the legislature? No. Um, strangely enough, uh, last session, Montana had the youngest legislator in the country, uh, Braxton Mitchell, very good friend of mine. He's up in the flathead. He represents house district three. Um, Mm -hmm. he's, um, a great guy, really good friend. And when he was elected, I think he was 20 when he got elected um he's 21 now but yeah and we also had in um house district 50 representative uh stromswald mallory stromswald um she was elected at 22 yeah that's that's so crazy so how old are you then i'm 22 so i would be the third youngest member but um we've got a lot you know i've engaged in a lot of discussions with people that are thinking of running and have now committed to running and i think you're going to see kind of a youth movement in the legislature we've got eight or so candidates running for house seats that are under the age of 25 and i think that's really um exciting to see so many young people wanting to get involved and i've been kind of talking with a lot of them and helping them and picking winnable districts for them to run in. And I think you'll see a lot more um, young people in the coming couple sessions. Yeah, that's very exciting. That's great to hear. Um, So with your position with the AG, what what are you doing as an intern? Well, I'm not an intern. Um, I'm getting 
getting internship credits. We're, you know, working with you on that, but um, I work in our communications department and um, do a lot of stuff there. I kind of help out with a lot of different things, but mostly I've been working with um, our comm shop, just trying to, you know, get the messaging out, get the messaging right. Because uh, one thing I've learned is, is that it's so easy to have good policy, have good achievements and have the messaging get screwed up and it, and it being turned into a negative by the media, which is obviously so one-sided. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it's important to, you know, really work with that. So I've really enjoyed learning a lot and getting a lot of experience in the messaging and, you know, press releases and, um, and all of that kind of stuff, as well as getting some experience in the legal aspect uh, of things. Um, funny story when the uh, legislature sued the Supreme court um, or served and served them with subpoenas. I actually got to deliver those subpoenas um, upstairs to, to justice rice. Um, awesome. So that was fun. That was the highlight of my career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a very big controversy that happened right at the end there. Do you want to just, kind yeah. Of- and it's, and it's ongoing, but yeah. Yeah. Do you want to recount what happened? Yeah. So basically what happened was there was a bill that the legislature passed SB 140 that gave the governor the power to appoint judges to courts um, without having to seek input from the judicial nominating commission, which was a left-leaning group. And the, um, the uh, legislature got sued over it. And, you know, the attorney general's office is defending all these lawsuits And we found out um, through uh, records requests and through subpoenas that um, the Supreme Court was and and others were prejudging cases before they actually came up. They were voting in online polls through through state email um, and judging cases before they were ever even argued. So once we got that information, the legislature, um, you know, retained the Department of Justice as their counsel and sent subpoenas to the Supreme Court, which I got to then serve and. Since then, it's been one back and forth after another between the justices and the legislature and our office. But um, we're hopeful that a positive resolution will come to that. It's you know funny that the justices didn't think that their state emails were you know public property and they, they could be you know reviewed. But yeah, um, they know now. <laughs> so will you be able to um, still work with the AG if you are elected? So no. Um, the plan for me is I'm going to work with the AG through next May, and then I'm going to take the time to really focus on campaigning. And, um, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected, obviously, then I'll be busy in the legislature. Um, if I'm not, then maybe I'll come knocking on attorney general Knudsen's door again. (laughs) Cool. Well, yeah, I want to dive into just the positions that you have. I know, um, when you were running in Missoula, a big thing that you were focusing on was, uh, property taxes, maybe. And um, I'm wondering if anything has changed, um, what you're going to focus on specifically in Helena, and then just, um, I guess, dive into yeah. where you might be more liberty leaning and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So in the Missoula race, and, and a lot of it's going to transfer to the Helena race too, I focused on kind of six key issues that I wanted to um, focus my campaign around property taxes being one of them. But one of the ones that I'm excited to discuss with you is um, reducing the size and scope of government. That was one that I really wanted to focus on Missoula specifically because that local government is totally out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's the same way in Helena. You've got a mayor that 
thinks that he can do whatever he wants and uh and they're burden burdening the citizens so when we talk about you know reducing the the size of government one of the things i've found just in my short you know when i campaigned across the state in 2018 and 2020 and now working for attorney general knudsen people just want to be left alone to live their lives do what they want to do go to work raise their families enjoy their weekends they don't want to be told what to do by the government. They don't want to be taxed out of their homes. They just want to be able to live their lives and be left alone. And so often we're seeing these local governments, mayors in other states, state legislatures that uh, have out of control spending. They don't have a clue what they're doing, um, especially in Missoula, but Helena too, uh, Mayor Collins, he has no idea what he's doing. They have no plan when it comes to fiscal responsibility. They spend money they don't have, and then their solution is, well, we'll just raise taxes, mm-hmm. um, and we'll just, you know, increase fees for things. You know, that's that's their plan is spend money they don't have, and then figure out how they'll pay for it later by taxing the individuals. And to me, that's just so irresponsible. Um, and and I'd like to really see that stop. And and I'm all for local government being able to, you know, have. I'm all for separation of powers. The the state, the local and the federal government all have their own role to play. But I do think that there's a point where the state government has got to get involved and say, look, you're not going to tax Montana citizens out of their homes because you can't be responsible with your money. And so I, I think that there's some common sense, reasonable things that we can do to get local government out of the lives of the citizens, um, reduce the size of government. That's one of the things I was so proud of Attorney General Knudsen for doing is getting rid of a lot of the bureaucrats in the Department of Justice, people that had just been there just sucking up paychecks, not doing anything. And he campaigned on it and you know, reducing the size of that department. And he's done it. And I'm so happy that he has because we don't need uh, thousands and thousands of state employees mm-hmm. that are just you know draining the taxpayers dry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there is there is a very interesting point that you um, just mentioned about local power and like uh, there there's this constant debate in my head about like where those those lines are because there's kind of like this question of whether or not sovereignty is just as strong of a right as whatever right you're preventing them from in, uh, mm-hmm. you know preventing so like with LR one thirty and everything that that kind of like said that um, Missoula can no longer have these gun laws. Uh, you know, there, there is this question, especially within like libertarian circles, um, where those lines are. So I'm, I'm wondering what you think about that and then where, uh, what you guys can do from the state level, I guess. Like what, what can you do um, to localities when they overstep, I guess? Yeah. So one of the main things is we look at the constitution. Are, are they following the constitution or are they, you know, blatantly violating the rights of the people? So when Missoula is trying to restrict gun ownership or Bozeman or wherever, you know, when it's blatantly violating uh, an amendment or something in the constitution, I, the state has a right at that point to step in and say, look, you're not going to, you're not going to violate the constitution because you want to, you have an agenda. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the, the lines that I draw. Um, you know, another thing is, I, I believe that the local government should be able to run their own, you know, municipalities. But there's got to be a point, and and this is something that, having not been in the legislature before, I, I don't really know what the point is. But there's got to be a point where these people cannot just run roughshod over their citizens and do whatever they want. Um, where there's got to be some kind of reasonable um, check and balance on that system. 
uh, of government and say, you know, look, you cannot, you know, tax people out of their homes because you want to build bridges to nowhere and homeless camps and everything else. Um, So I don't know where that line is, to be honest with you. I think that's something that we've got to we've got to confront because it's getting out of control in the cities um, and we've got to look into, but, you know, I don't know. I think that's something that we'll have to, if I get elected, I'll be happy to discuss with my colleagues. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, like at the very least it's, you know, I think it really does come down to trying to cultivate cultures within um, those localities and trying to change them at those levels too, because I mean, really when it does come, we know that there are conservatives and libertarians and Helena and, Missoula. It's just that, you know, a percentage of a percentage of a percentage, you know, are, are voting for these policies. It's like how many people are actually paying attention to politics? It's a small percentage. And how many of, of those people are voting? It's a small percentage. Right. And how many people are voting Democrats? It's even smaller. So I think that, that that's kind of a perspective is like we really need to focus on, um, you know, changing the culture in those in those cities as well. Um, something that that is very interesting on this topic of localism is is the way in which the states have been able to um, check the national government just within the last year, uh, yeah. last legislative session, which is fantastic. I'm um, the reason why I'm asking the question about where you draw the line there is because like I see the principles within like the Tenth Amendment and um, federalism as applying also to localities. Like why would the founders have wanted this relationship? Um, Mm-hmm. But it's it's so it's so great. Like we're now um, a gun sanctuary. Uh, we're now a marijuana yep. sanctuary, essentially. Um, right. There are so many things that we are doing. He, we we appeal or repealed occupational licensing. Um, at least some of those laws. And it's just I I mean, if I could ask anything of you, like if if as a libertarian who is trying to get involved with the Libertarian Party, I just want you guys to pursue that as much as possible because. Um, I, I'm planning on having someone from the 10th Amendment Center on, uh, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk just about like where those powers lie. And, and the truth is, if you read the Constitution, supremacy clause only allows um, the Constitution to have certain powers, right? And if they go right. outside of that, state government can nullify it. We saw Clarence Thomas just, was it yesterday or something? He, he said that, you know, the interstate commerce clause has essentially been... I think he said that these the marijuana ban at the national level is no longer necessary or proper. And it's like, of course, of course not. Just read the Constitution. But yeah, that right. And I know we've been we've been having so much fun at the AG's office suing the Biden administration over there, you know, because they at at the federal level federal level, they think they can just do whatever they want, whether it's cancel the Keystone pipeline unilaterally. They actually, we got a big win in court. Um, I think it was last week. Uh, Biden put a energy lease moratorium. He said no new drilling on federal lands. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 13 states came together and sued him and said, no, look, you don't have that authority. Um, The the Congress regulates interstate commerce, not you. You can't with a stroke of a pen, just do whatever you want. And we got a big win in court. Um, so now we can go back to drilling, um, the Keystone pipeline, uh, lawsuit that Montana was leading. Unfortunately, the TC energy canceled the pipeline. Um, but I know that we're still pursuing that in hopes that somebody's going to pick that up. Um, but you know, that's just a couple examples at a state level and, and in our office, how we're protecting the state's rights against federal overreach from the Biden administration, just thinking that they can do whatever they want. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Um, so are there any other specific policies that you would focus on, or at least um, when you look at Montana, what do you, is there anything that you would like to introduce or anything to change? Right. So um, one of the big focuses, one of the other six focuses was protecting Second Amendment rights. So that's going to be something. And and I said, you know, look, our Second Amendment is under attack in this country, no doubt about it from the federal level. And I was happy to see um, what the legislature did in the last session with uh, protecting gun rights, uh, making Montana a constitutional carry state where you don't have to have a permit to conceal carry. You can just do it. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I plan to introduce in the next section uh, session is what the state of South Dakota did where the, the legislature gives themselves the authority to review any executive order coming from the federal government to determine whether it's constitutional or not, because we shouldn't be burdened with having to comply with these illegal bogus executive orders coming out of Washington, D.C. that Biden with a stroke of a pen thinks he can trample on state rights. No. So in the, in the next session of the legislature, I want to bring that to the floor that says, look, we have a right to review these executive orders and determine if we're going to follow it based on the constitution. So that's one thing I plan to do um, with, with it. And, and that'll apply across the board. Yeah. I, I could not applaud you more for that. That is fantastic. I've, you know, I always like uh, when I do think about this, I'm, I'm a big, states rights guy i'm a big nullify guy but it's on both sides right so like like i genuinely do um think that and, and there, we might have some disagreement here but we don't need to get into it just about localities i i there i do question um lr 130 and the authority that a state has or or whether or not they ought to have like like they might have it written down i just i just question philosophically these things mm -hmm. but i think that this also applies to the national government the state absolutely has mm -hmm. a to question anything the national government does, especially when they go outside of their vested powers that are clearly expressed in the constitution. So I I mean, I think that that's fantastic. I, I actually, just a couple of weeks ago, I thought of something very similar, but I didn't think about executive orders. I thought um, there, there's a way in which, I, I don't even know if it could work, but like um, the way that the state is no longer represented by Congress because of uh, whatever amendment it was that made the Senate directly elected. I forget which one. Um, mm -hmm. If if the state could somehow uh, consider certain legislation that are passed at the national level um, and whether or not they're going to agree with the national government on certain appropriations of tax money and whether or not they can like yeah. hold tax money or send it to the treasury or something like that. I would, man, that, and that's what, what you just said is along the same lines and, and probably more legal. So I appreciate that. dude. Mm -hmm. like, um, did you go through all of the six things that, that you had or? Um, yeah. So I've got, um, I've got, you know, reducing the size of government. Some of them I'm not going to run on in Helena. It's just not, you know, they were kind of a message for Missoula, but property taxes is one of them protecting the second amendment, um, protecting our public lands, um, protecting, um, they say second amendment, yeah. um, reducing the size of government and now I'm drawing a blank. Those yeah. are kind of going to be the big four in, in, in the Helena race. Um, I think especially when I see what the other side is putting out there, that those four um, become extremely critical 
to mm-hmm. protect. Oh, um, actually, I did remember um, returning education to the local level. Um, I think that it's ridiculous that the federal government is trying to mandate programs like critical race theory in the schools. I think it was good that Attorney General Knudsen put an end to that in Montana. But I think local communities, local um, organizations should be the ones making decisions about what's taught in the classroom. You know, the schools in Helena or Missoula or anywhere else in Montana shouldn't have to, you know, be being told what to teach by the Biden administration. And, you know, we worked, our office worked extremely hard on that opinion on critical race theory, that it violates the Civil Rights Act and, you know, a whole bunch of other, um, you know, clauses in the Constitution. But I think that we really need to focus on returning the local control of schools to local communities. There's no need for the federal government to be getting involved. And one of the things they're doing is they're holding ARPA money over the school's head saying, look, you need to give us all this access and, you know, include all this stuff. If you want the money, if it were up to me, I'd say, keep your money. We're going to, you know, control schools at our level. We don't need your money. We'll teach our kids the best way we see fit. Dude, you should be running as a libertarian. I know there's not infrastructure (laughs) here, but it sounds great. It sounds awesome. Like I, I literally just had a conversation with my, um, he was my civics teacher from high school. He's now retired about the same thing about how, like, literally we do not need these funds or, at least like test them, right? Like, okay, you're yeah. not, you're, you're going to withhold our funding. Okay. Like try it because uh, what, what he told me is that it was uh, governor Schweitzer, I believe um, yep. with real IDs. He, um, he, he pushed back the real IDs. The national government was trying to enforce them on Montana. And he essentially said, no, we don't need them. And they threatened to pull um, like something to do with airplanes, like we couldn't fly them in certain spaces or something like that. And he said, okay. Mm-hmm. And they backed off. Yeah. I, I would encourage that in every way possible because they do it with our school funding. They do it with highway funding. Like we have the speed limit laws that were changed. We have the alcohol drinking age limits that were changed. And those might be silly mm-hmm. issues, but it's still like, exploitation in a certain sense like that's literally what they're doing they're holding certain funds hostage to force localities to kind of go over their own self-determination and their own sovereignty like that's not democracy in any sense and they're the ones that like to throw that word around to go actually a little bit more in depth than that that was something i really worked closely with um one of our assistant solicitor generals on was that whole deal with the arpa money and you know critical race the whole thing with education and so basically they split the state arpa money into three kind of buckets and two of them were kind of just we got the money the third bucket was the one that they were saying look here's what you we want you to do in order to get this third bucket of money mm-hmm. and there was Um, They put out a state plan um, that included, it was probably seven or eight pages long of all of this information that they wanted and access to the schools and uh, things they wanted to be included into education. But when you actually um, compared that to the rule that was passed in the U.S. Congress for the ARPA money, Mm -hmm. we found like eight or nine violations of where what they were asking for in the state plan was not at all founded in the law that they passed. You know, it was just, it was the Biden administration um, just trying to get all this access in our local education. They wanted specific data that was going to cost the state money. It would cost the state money to get this information. Like the things they were asking for are not tracked. Like um, 
kids uh, find out the, the children who don't attend Zoom classes as much as others and um, show if they have behave, more behavior issues. And it's like, what, what are we doing here? We're, we're not going to waste state resources giving the federal government this amount of access and information into our schools. And, and they were telling the, the states that in order to get this money, they had to account for equity and education and, uh, you know, just all of this, this ridiculous stuff. And, and the state was supposed to provide plans for how they were going to do this in order to get the money. Yeah. And we said, look, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So a question about like the critical race theory, then um, if you were to like push to make school more local, uh, if if like a locality decided to teach critical race theory, would you mm -hmm. would you push and say, like, that's OK? Well, look, here's what I think. I think that um, we shouldn't be getting involved in the local decisions unless you're you're violating the law. So. You know, if if a school wants to teach something that I don't personally agree with, they can teach it as long as they're not violating the law. And that's where a lot of people actually misconstrued what the AG opinion stated. That AG opinion said that you can still teach, you know, these things. You just can't do reverse racism. You can't violate students' civil rights in order to, you know, do whatever you want to do. Like, uh, we, one thing we saw um, in a lot of states was privilege walks where, you know, students of one racial group were made to do things that violated their constitutional rights. And, and so I think that's where I draw the line that, you know, when, if they're going to violate people's rights, we got to step in there. But if they want to teach, you know, things that should be decided at a local level and the state should really stay out of it. It should be and the federal government should certainly stay out of it. It should be local communities deciding what's taught in the classroom. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Um, I, I'm wondering, does does the whatever it was was it what is it a rule or an opinion? What what came out of the AG? The Attorney General's opinion. Yep, it carries the weight of law in the state. Okay, yeah. So, did that opinion apply to private schools? Then, like, could CRT guys come together, mm -hmm. make it form their own? School I don't think. Right. So don't quote me on this, but I don't think so. I think it was for public schools in the state, um, you know, taxpayer funded, funded public schools. Um, but, you know, it's the type of thing where if if the Office of Public Instruction or whoever starts getting reports that, you know, another school is, you know, violating the law or whatever, then, you know, there would be means to, to have to step in. You can't have schools, you know, violating the law. You know, you can't break the law. So, um, but I think that the opinion itself was specifically for public schools. It said, look, you're not going to break the law in the public schools for, you know, whatever your political agenda is. Yeah. Yeah. And it would make sense, especially, I think you have an even stronger case if federal money is mixing there in a, in a way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about that um, you feel like we didn't touch on, please do. And then uh, we can kind of wrap up. Yeah, well, you know, I just, I certainly appreciate you having me on. I look forward, you know, I think it's this race that I'm running in is so important. And I think that this next session is going to be so important because of the, the overreach that we're seeing from the federal level. I think it's so important to find, um, you know, candidates and, you know, anybody that listens to your show, consider getting involved. You know, we got to find people and candidates that are willing to push back and say, look, you know, 
states have rights. The federal government can't, you know, trample over the states. We're not going to stand for it. And so, you know, there were several um, good bills that that failed by one or two votes in the last session, where if we had one or two more liberty minded, um, you know, conservatives or just liberty minded individuals in the legislature, we could have gotten some really good things accomplished. Mm -hmm. And we had people holding this back. So I think that that's something that I just kind of want to appeal to your listeners, you know, consider getting involved, consider running for office. It's not as hard as people would make it make it seem. Um, if you're willing to put in the work, you can make it happen. Um, we already had a, a poll in this district where I'm up 13 and a half points. So, um, you know, even a seat that doesn't seem likely, you know, if you're running as a reasonable liberty minded person, it can be one. And I just, you know, hope that we'll start to see more young liberty minded people thinking about getting involved in government. Yeah. And 2020 really proved that Montana is a leave me alone at, at the very least a leave me alone Republican state. I would say they're more libertarian than most people think. Mm -hmm. And um, well, one thing I will say is, you know, I thought it was funny. I did one of those polls online, you know, like, where do you fall on the ideological spectrum? And, you know, most people always think of themselves as, you know, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. But I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people that identify as conservative, but they're really liberty minded and would kind of fall more in that libertarian line. Um, because people want to be left alone. They want to do what they want, what they want to do. And they just want to be able to not be interfered with by the government. (laughs) Absolutely. And I, I'm hoping that I can grow something, something with the libertarian party. I know you're with the Republican party, but, um, I, I, if anyone listening does want to get involved, like, please reach out because we are looking to build something here because maybe have coalitions with Republicans, but, um, yeah, man, I appreciate it. If you want to just pitch all of your information and um, tell people where they can find your like candidate information and where they can get in contact with you, your social media, please do. Yeah, great. So um, again, my name's Alden Tonke running in House District 82 in Helena. My website is aldenformontana.com. That's all spelled out, Alden for Montana. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Alden for Montana. Um, you can connect with me there online is a great resource. Um, you can, you know, contact me, donate, find out more about my positions, um, see what I want to do. And, and I'd love to be able to talk with anybody, even if you're not in my district, you know, if you get elected, you're representing the people of Montana. So even if you're not in, in house district 82, feel free to contact me, reach out. And I'd love to have a dialogue with, with anybody that wants to. So that's all my information. And, you know, Liam, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Enjoy yeah, the conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's the weekend. We can let go.